0: My soul, this is my song, praising my savior all the day long. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four, fourteen says, Since then. And find grace to help in time of need. I just want to thank you all for coming this morning. And if you're here joining us online, just want to welcome everyone. If you are here in person, and this may be your first time here, uh, there's, uh, we have bulletins. We're not passing them out. They're on the welcome table. If you did happen to get one, if you would take that little flap at the end, on the extra flap, and uh, there's some information. If you'd fill it out and put it in the box at the welcome, Ten- welcome Center that says offering, that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering for us. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. I'd like to ask that you would join me as we pray. Let's pray. Father, we have a great God whose mercy exceeds our sin and we are grateful to be in your presence worshiping you through song and through the study of your word through our interaction with others brothers and sisters in Christ and we pray uh, that you would be magnified we pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that you know we need to be spoken to each come to this place having had a lot of different things go on in our weeks. Some of us come rejoicing, some of us come exhausted, some of us come with a great weight of oppression from maybe physical ailments, maybe it's from just emotional stress, maybe it's just life is slamming us. But Father, you know that, and I pray that you would be receptive that we would be receptive, that you'd open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that might transform us into the people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Do you hear that? Good. I'm not the only one who hears it. I wanted to uh, start this morning by saying that there's this uh, this thing uh, that's been going on in the news. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you haven't. But there is a movie set. Uh, Alec Baldwin's latest movie set, Rust, there was a tragic, tragic accident with a firearm. And as a result of that tragic accident in a firearm, uh, some people are posting on social media, look, here's how you do it, you know, learning, a lesson to be learned from how it was done inappropriately. And so they take what was done wrong, and they say, that's the wrong way to do it. And then they say, okay, now here is the right way to use a firearm. Okay? There's a, it's kind of like a negative example. Uh, I remember when, we were, uh, when there's a Bible study method and we teach people, you know, we ask the Bible, you we say, well, is there a lesson, There's there an example to follow? And is there an example to avoid? If you look at a passage of Scripture, oftentimes we find that. Well, that's what we find in the passage we come to this morning in Matthew 23. We find an example to follow. No, an example to avoid is really what we find as we see Jesus in Matthew 23 employing this tactic, holding up an example that we are to not follow, to avoid, and something we are to aspire to. Okay? As he talks to his disciples and the multitude while he's directing his thoughts and attention to them. He's actually speaking about the people who are the bad example, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, there is a warning. And then he continues on, which we're not going to get to today, but in 13 through 36, there are these woes that he talks, that are directed against the scribes and Pharisees. So this chapter is kind of the climax of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day that ultimately end in his demise, and they're crucifying him on the cross. And so from these spiritual losers, I'll call them, we learn some important lessons on life and leadership within the body of Christ and how it's supposed to be done, how we're supposed to live as believers and how we're supposed to lead if we happen to be church leaders. We discover the plight of the proud and the pathway to pleasing God. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn them or if you have to Matthew 23, if you have a device, a phone, or an iPad or something like that, you can find Matthew chapter 23 if you would. And in this passage, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 23, the failed example of the spiritual leaders provide us with insight into how to live our spiritual lives. And so we're going to look at these two examples, these two lessons that we learn. I'm going to read the text beginning with Matthew. Chapter 23, verse 1 through verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, Rabbi. But do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher. And you are all brothers, and do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, or shall be exalted." And so here Jesus lays out for us, I think, in the text, verses 1 through 7, provides us with a glimpse of, you might say, this is the exposure of hypocrisy. And then in verses 8 through 12 is the exaltation of humility. But the first lesson we learn from the text is that we're to avoid But he condemns, in verses 1-7, through to avoid this selfish hypocrisy. Notice the text says that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples. But interestingly enough, he spoke to them while he was condemning those who were the scribes and Pharisees who were still within earshot. They were silent, but they were still within earshot of what he was saying. Some of you are aware that there's this... uh, Supposedly important gubernatorial, gubernatorial, is that how you're supposed to say that? Governor's race, okay, in in Virginia. And so you have this guy by the name of Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, and they're they're, running against each other. Now, each of them has advertisements, are out the campaigning, and they're speaking to people who are their primary audience, their supporters. But when they're speaking to their supporters and doing these ads, they're speaking to them against the other guy. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He's speaking to his disciples and the multitudes who are his followers about what they should do, but he's speaking against his detractors. And what does he say? The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They are self-appointed interpreters and instructors of the word of God. They're the ones who are supposed to preserve it. They're the ones who are supposed to proclaim it. And they're self-appointed in that position. And so Jesus gives two overarching commands with how we're supposed to respond to the message and to the messengers of God's truth. And the first one is, he says, well, he didn't say this, but I summarized it as, we're supposed to act on the truth that's preached. Okay, in verses 1 through 3, he says, therefore, since they've pointed themselves in the seat of Moses, he says, therefore, verse 3, all that they tell you, do and observe. When they speak God's truth, do it. It's the, you know, the saying where you're supposed to do what they say. Uh, I don't know if you have ever experienced this. I'm sure you have. If you drive, you're driving down the road and you see the, the worker standing on the road with the sign. And the sign says, either stop or slow. Now, by virtue of that person's position and by virtue of that person's proclamation through their sign, you do what they say because you know that they're communicating what is the law that you have to abide by. That's what Jesus is saying here. You may not like the fact that they're in the seat of Moses, that they have self-appointed themselves, but even though they're self-appointed, when they speak God's truth, we are supposed to do what God says, and so we do what they say, okay? But he didn't stop there. We're supposed to act on the truth that is proclaimed if it's God's truth. But we're also supposed to avoid pretense in practice. He says, do what they say, but do not do what they do. It's quite an indictment. So it's kind of your, your classic say case of uh, do as they say, don't do as they do. And you know, parents are oftentimes guilty of this. You know, we we tell our kids something to do, but It's not really something we do. You know, it's like, oh, don't talk that way to your mother. Hmm, I wonder where they heard that. Uh, Don't say those kind of words. Um, Hmm, have they ever heard that before? Uh, Well, don't do what they do, just do what they say. And so, he says, do not be do not act according to their deeds. And so there are three forms of hypocrisy then he lays out for us here. Three ways that they are manifesting that they should not be followed in what they do. Okay? These three forms of, of hypocrisy in the scribes and Pharisees that we want to avoid. The lives of his disciples, the multitudes, the disciples. Here's the way not to do it. Okay? And so there are three of them that he, that he teases out for us, and I've summarized them. They're not exactly word for word, but it's first of all that we're not, to, we're not to be involved in preaching what we do not practice. Okay, And I see this in the text. If you look at verse end of verse 3, for they say things and they do not do them. So here we have the disciples listening to Jesus. Now, again, we're still in the temple. Things this is all still happening. I think the second day uh, that Jesus goes into the temple this is a busy day for Jesus. Okay, So now he's talking to his disciples, and he says, Don't do as they do, for they say things and they do not do them. They tell people, for example, you shall not steal. What's in the law, right? You shall not steal. But what had Jesus done the day before with the money changers in the temple? <laughs> because they were extorting people. They were stealing from people. They tell people, you shall not commit murder. But these are the very same people back in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, who sought to destroy him. Do you see the disconnect between what they, they say things, but they do not do them? They were not going along with what God had said. An, an arrogant hypocrisy like this erodes credibility regardless of the century in which it's performed. So it doesn't really matter if it's them then or us now. When we live in hypocrisy, when we say things and do not do them, we say what God says and we do not do it, it erodes our credibility. We have no credibility to speak the truth. So I ask myself, and I think we should ask ourselves, do we preach to others, do we teach to others, love your neighbor. Do we preach to others that we are to give to God's work, support the ministry that God has financially, and with your efforts and your energy and your time, your time treasure, you know? And or, or do we do we proclaim to people that we should um, that that we should? Proclaim the gospel, that we should speak to people about the, what it means to have a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Do we tell people, now look, you know, you see people around you and you don't know who they are. You know, you should maybe go up and introduce yourself and welcome them and, you know, be hospitable. And we do all these things, but then we don't do them. Well, I don't know who my neighbors are. Well, yeah, they live there. They have a fence, you know, and I, I, so I don't talk to them. Uh... And who is our neighbor anyway? You know, that's kind of a whole parable about that. Uh, So we, we should talk to these people. Well, we should tell people about Jesus, although I can't tell you the names of anybody in the last two years that I actually mentioned Jesus' name to. I'm supposed to talk to people that I don't know, go up and welcome them. But, you know, I'm kind of an introvert. You know, I just really don't, I'm just really not good at that. Is that what we do? Do we, do we preach, but we don't practice it? You see, none of us perfectly carries this out, okay? Let's not, I'm not trying to paint it like everybody does perfectly whatever we are supposed to proclaim. But the idea is that we're striving to let our, our walk match our talk. To be more consistent in practice. I mean, I could, I mean, just talk to somebody close to you. And they will illumine you with the ways in which you do not practice what you preach. Okay. If you have a child, you can ask them. If you have a parent, you could ask them. If you have a spouse, you could ask them. If you have a close friend or brother or sister, you could ask them. They will illumine us. We all fail, but the ideas are, is there progress? Are we moving? Are we pressing ahead? This is the idea. Then there's, there, there may be a, an accusation of hypocrisy, but it's not because we're not trying. It's not because we're not making an effort. And that's what he condemns. Okay? So, first of all, as we preach what we do not practice, secondly, he says you need to avoid loading people down without lifting them up or lightening their load, okay, without lightening their load. He says that they, they tie heavy burdens, in verse 4, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Not that they're unable, but they're unwilling. So what does he mean, tie them down, load them down with heavy loads? He's not talking about physical material weighting them down, No. He's talking about spiritual requirements, spiritual rituals, spiritual rules that come down here from the religious leaders that are not in the Scripture. This is over and above God's Word. Okay, So God's Word, what what they say in God's Word, do it. But this is something excess. It's something over and above. They went beyond God's Word, and that weighed people down. See, they were real real lenient with themselves, but very legalistic towards others. We looked when we were earlier in Matthew chapter 15. The Pharisees are criticizing Jesus and his disciples. They don't even wash their hands and go through the ritual washing. And Jesus says, you, you, you hypocrites, he didn't say hypocrites, but he says you teach as doctrine the traditions of men. You, yet, yet while you do this, you violate the command of God because you say that you're supposed to honor your father and mother. And yet you teach these people that whatever was to be given to support my parents, that's dedicated to God. Adding stuff. you got to go through all these washings and all these rituals and all this stuff. He says, no, this weighs people down. They they feel burdened by it instead of the, the way of Jesus, which is what? What did Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder... If you're here this morning and you name the name of Jesus, is your burden light? Is it a joy to walk with Jesus, or is it just really a heavy taskmaster that's weighing you down? Because you know, there's there's I, I have to spend so much time each week in God's Word or in prayer, or I feel like somehow I'm substandard as a believer. I have to attend so many services and so many activities and be involved in so much service during the week or somehow I will feel like I'm not quite measuring up to what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And you know, there's certain things, leisure act, I mean, I can't have too much fun. You know, I can't do too many leisure and there's certain ones that are just, you know, really can't do, you know. And where does it say that in God's Word? He gives us all things richly to enjoy. That's in there. First Timothy chapter 6. Okay. So he, 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 every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. And yet we turn following Jesus into a bunch of rules and regulations that weigh people down. Now, I'm not talking about lawlessness. I'm not talking about, you know, just going off the reservation here and just doing whatever you want, whatever you feel if it feels good, do it. No, that's not it. But it's weighing people down. You see, the Pharisees kept people under their thumb of legalistic rule-keeping so that they felt good about themselves because, you know, they kept things and it was kind of fun. They liked watching people squirm. I wonder, do we like watching people squirm? Do I like watching my children as they grow up squirm under the rules and regulations? You better do it the way it's supposed to be done because that's the way I had to do it. Or do we teach them to love Jesus? And to walk with God and the freedom that they have in Christ. And you're going to make mistakes. But you know what? God is there to welcome you. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. They went beyond, you know, God's word. And, and they did it. They, they, and, and Jesus says, works righteousness is not where it's at. It's we're saved by grace through faith plus Nothing. And once we come to faith in Christ, then we want to live for Jesus, not because of the rules, but because we have a a relationship with him. I remember as a senior in high school, working on a farm, and uh, Bob was the uh, owner of the farm, several thousand acres, and he raised several hundred head of cattle and several thousand uh, head of pigs and we one day after lunch he got me in the pickup and we went over to one of his farms and uh, there was a huge barn there and it was in the winter time and there were a bunch of hogs in this barn and in this barn the, the manure was about uh, up to your ankles in the, in, the, in the barn and so he handed me a scoop shovel and, and uh, I'm thinking okay I'm going to be here a while uh, but then he got out of the pickup and he got a scoop shovel And we both got into the pen and spent about an hour and a half, each of us there. And he lightened the load. He was the owner. He was the the big shot. I was working for him, but he was working with me. And Jesus wants us to be that kind of person, not in a physical sense necessarily. He wants it that too, but to be spiritually, to lighten the load. Of, of our children, I wonder if we can help be more lenient and less legalistic when it comes to interacting with our children, on biblical expectations, on biblical rules, on biblical requirements, on biblical rituals that we have to, to go through, and can we, can we lighten the load with our children? Or if we're married with our spouses? On biblical expectations, you know, that they have to have things just the way we want it. You know, there's a difference. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong, okay? Just because you're neat and organized doesn't mean that a little bit sloppy is wrong. It's, you know, what's the saying? Cleanliness is next to godliness? Show me where that's in the Bible. Now, I'm all for cleanliness, you know, (laughs) don't don't get me wrong, I'm all for cleanliness. But, you know, some people are not dirty, they're just disorganized. You know, they just have, uh, you know, messes around, you know, but they know where it's at. Or if they don't know where it's at, they're not worried about where it's at. If I don't know where it's at, I'm worried about where it's at. But just because I'm worried where it's at, doesn't mean you need to be worried about where it's at. But it drives me nuts. And so obviously, if I think it's right, then it must be right. Where's that in the Bible? Lighten the load. To be less legalistic. What what does God's word say? He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to what? Love mercy. To love mercy. His mercy is more. Because God loves mercy. The, The the Pharisees, no grace, all law, no mercy. Is that us who name the name of Jesus? It shouldn't be us. We should avoid this. We should avoid preaching what we do not practice. We should avoid loading people down without without lifting them up. We should avoid loving the limelight. In verse 5 through 7, there are at least two indications of this self-love that manifests itself in fake believers that we want to avoid. First of all, they live to be seen. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Don't live to be seen. Verse 5, he says this, but they, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, do, now notice, if you have your Bibles, if you have a pen or a pencil, all their deeds. The motivation for everything they do is recognition. They want to be seen. All they do Every action is for recognition. Now, in the secular realm, some of you are on social media. Some of you are not, but <clears throat> you check Facebook, you do Twitter, Instagram, uh, you know, whatever, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, all this stuff. Interestingly enough, if you look at it enough, you, you, you'll see and you go, "What in the world? Who would actually post that picture? I mean, who would actually want other people to see them dressed like that?" Or doing that. And you can't help but think they're doing it only to get that exact right. Re- I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. And we do the same thing in a spiritual sense. Or it's a temptation. That's why Jesus, and I think we have this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. We looked at this before. He says, beware of doing your righteousness, practicing your righteousness before men. Look out because we're susceptible to the same thing. In John chapter 12, uh, verses 42 and 43, Jesus said that uh, some people wouldn't uh, stand up for him. They wouldn't stand up. He said, nevertheless, many, even the, uh, the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Why not? So that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue because they loved the praise of men more than they loved The praise of God, the approval of God. So we're tempted by this living to be seen. okay? And then he illustrates this very fact in their lives. If you look at the next verse, uh, at the end of verse 5, he says, They love to be seen, to be noticed by men. Why? For, this gives the, the illustration, the example, for they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen the tassels of their robes. And you go, okay, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. I understand. I get that. But if you go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 9. The priests were, had these little leather boxes. And they would write out little Torah verses from the Torah and put them in the box. And then they would strap it and string it around on their forehead. Or they'd put it on the wrist. And what he says there is that they, they enlarged them, you know, made them bigger. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a really spiritual person because look how much of God's word I have on my forehead. And then there would, they would, they, they, they were strings that were attached to their robes. And then they would then make them longer, you know, so they'd be more noticeable, enhancing their, their robe. All of this was an ostentatious display so that people would see them and think, wow. They are much more spiritually advanced than I thought. They're quite spiritual to gain attention. The normal stuff, now the phylacteries and the, and the tassels and the robe that Jesus wore, a robe, you know, so it wasn't like that this was a, an uncommon practice, but it was that they were flamboyant about it, you know, and they wanted to draw attention to themselves and, and impress people with their, their piety. We can do the same thing. Yeah, we don't have flatterterieies and we don't have tassels, but uh, some Marla joined a group of, of people from the, one of the churches that we served formerly several years ago, and they, they visited a church, they were on a mission trip, and they visited a church, and they walked into the churches like they were there on kind of a work project, you know, so they kind of got their jeans and you know some just uh, shirts and sweatshirts and stuff, and they walked into the churches like, whoa, I mean. Every, every one of the women that they saw with like these immaculately manicured fingernails, you know. Summertime, so I'm sure some of them had their sandals on with the petties, you know, showing, and everybody knew that they had been dolled up, and they had all just been to the hairdresser, you know, just immaculately made out, like it's prom night or something. And then the pastor shows up in, you know, his version of an Armani suit, you know, just like this. Shoo, And now I don't know their motives, but this group of people got the impression that it was all about seeing us. Now I'm not for, I'm not against, and I don't think the Bible's against dressing nicely, not against being, have good hygiene, not against wearing good clothes or you know, being fancy, you know, doing fancy things sometimes. But for what reason? Is it like well? I got to have my I be styling here so that people notice that I'm styling, you know, or that I really have have gone overboard. That's the idea. Don't draw attention. They 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 wanted to be. They lived to be seen. Okay, but not only did they live to be seen, they loved to be significant. And we see this in the next part of, uh, of verse six. He says. And they love the place of honor at the banquets. And the chief seats in the synagogues. Okay, um, The seat, chief place honor at the banquets, I mean, that's where you're going to be noticed, right? You're highly esteemed. You're served first. You've been to a, you've been to a wedding. I mean, Kyle was preaching on, you know, uh, what do you wear to the wedding, right? Uh, well, been to a wedding. I mean, if you go with me to a wedding... Whatever seat I sit at, going to be the last table served. So I just want you to know that. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, whatever, whatever place I pick, whatever table, it's like, okay, that's the last one. And they like, who doesn't want to be the first one through? The food's hot, you know? And people haven't slobbered all over it, you know? If you're going through a buffet line and they haven't picked it up and put it back, you want to you get the fresh stuff. So you want to be at the front table, you know? That's kind of cool. None of us wants to sit at the back necessarily, but the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus says they love the place of honor at the banquet. You don't want to be the guy or the gal that goes to the wedding and they say, well, excuse me, this place here isn't really not for you. Uh, You've got to come back here. Uh, You'd rather be the guy that's sitting or gal that's sitting in the back and they say, yeah, come on up here, you know, this is where. And there's not a human being alive that doesn't, Struggle at times, I think, with, you know, I want to be the person at the front. You know, I kind of like to go through the line first. And he says, that's not who you're to be as as God-honoring people. The chief seats in the synagogues. this is where you're honored for your spirituality, you're respected for your perspective, and you are given responsibility. You are seen as a somebody. And Jesus says, that's what they do that's against God's word. It's easy to covet the places of honor. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, you know, wouldn't it be cool to be up here and sing? And, you know, people could see me and they could know that, you know, I have a great voice or I'm very musically inclined or that, you know, I want to sit up here, you know, I can can sit here. I can look out here and I can see all those people I'm going to be speaking to. Wow. And they all came. But they didn't come for me. They didn't come for you. It came for the Lord. We, it's like, yeah, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind, uh, you know, when uh, people call me by certain names, you know. That, that would be important, like doctor, you know. Like, I'm I'm a doctor. I'm not, but, you know, it's like I want people to know I'm a doctor. Or, you know, they could use the initials after my name, you know, because I've got several, you know, LP, PCL, you know, D DVM, you know, you can, all these. Uh, I'm going. I don't even know what they mean. You know, isn't it cool that uh, we have uh, Doug Elric is now Doctor Doug Elric. How many of you called Doug Doctor Doug? What you will now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not saying if you call him Dr. Doug, that's the wrong thing. But Dr. Doug is not saying you need to call me Dr. Doug. But these guys were saying, you know, I, I, I want to be this place. I want to be at this position. You know, I want to be in that. And, you, and to be called by men rabbi, which is a term of respect. It was a term, you're the master. You are the, the teacher. You are the great one. No. See, reveling in the praise of men is what Jesus says is a disqualification for, for spiritual leadership in the church. We're not supposed to be narcissistic, which means looking for me, and we're not supposed to be led by narcissists, self-lovers. I wonder about it, though, you know. so like, Do we dress the way we dress coming to church That we, you know, make sure that we have our, you know, Christian bumper sticker on there. Make sure that I got the little, you know, Christian radio call letters in the back of my, you know, car. And we do. I I bought the car that way, so I didn't add them, okay, just so you know. (laughs) I didn't put a, I mean, I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car because I don't want to see people, have people see me acting like a knucklehead and think, whoa, yeah, there you go, that's one of those Jesus people. It's planned ignorance. It's a good thing sometimes because I don't manifest the fruit of the Spirit in all the ways that I that I should. But do we do we do we carry our Bibles around and want to be addressed, you know, like by certain designations so that people know that we're a somebody? That's the question. I wonder if you and I can sing the song that Francesca Battistelli, I think that's how it says, says, I don't need my name in life. Can you say that? I don't need my name in lights. And she goes on, I'm precious in my Father's eyes. He knows my name. I'm not living for the applause of men. Why? Because I have the approval of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about Him. I think about that. I don't need my name in lights. But every one of us gravitates towards it. Every one of us is drawn to it. Everyone wants to know and is, is drawn to it. We are. So I want to ask you, pray for me. Pray for each other. That, that we would be, that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Father of lights, would be enough that we're not enticed away to need the applause of men and the applause of others. I don't need my name in lights. I know this pastor who's a nationally, internationally known pastor, and he said that he searches out, seeks to find ways to serve in secret so that it helps him battle the intoxicating draw of being significant in the world's eyes. He finds ways to humiliate himself so that he doesn't get a big head. So this is the thing. We're to avoid that selfish hypocrisy. But then Jesus turns the table in verse 8 and shows us that we're to aspire to selfless humility. He's given the diagnosis, and now he gives the remedy. In verses 8 through 12, he, he starts out, but you, ESV says it. NASB doesn't have the you in there, which I don't know why they shouldn't. It's in the original Greek. It says, but you... Jesus deliberately contrasts the hypocrisy to avoid with the humility that we are to aspire to. And this involves two actions. Actions in opposite directions. There's something we are to shun and there's something we are to seek. First, we are to shun suggested superiority. There are two marks of selfless humility to which we aspire. We resist becoming a celebrity. But you disciples, then and now, don't be called rabbi. This is verse 8. Okay, I'm not making this up. Uh, and, and, and don't call anyone your father. And then don't, call, don't be called leader or teacher. We're not supposed to do that. Now, okay, it's not a prohibition. I mean, if you have a teacher and you call them teacher. Okay, that's okay. if you have a, a, a spiritual leader and you call them a leader, it's not even that you can't call somebody, actually call them father. You know, Some people you call your, your, your biological father, hey father, or, the, or you speak about them to somebody else, this is my father. Paul said that he was Timothy's spiritual father in, in Philippians 2, I believe it is. So it's not that we can't use the word, but it's when we use the word in a way that elevates the person to a place of prominence that would either rival or replace God in importance and significance. That's the problem. Any lofty designation that conveys supremacy that usurps God or, and draws attention to us, that's what he's talking about here. The humble would reject any sort of unjustifiable designation that elevates them or us or me. I remember hearing, uh, again, if I used their name, you would know their name at a conference, and he was asked, "He uh, was a pastor, and he says, uh, he, how do you handle celebrity status? And he was just like, you know, I cringe at the thought of even being referred to that way. It's just, it just—it just makes me shudder. It just is abhorrent to me that, that someone would say I'm am a celebrity. And by his response, he proved that he was worthy to be be a, be a leader. You know that he was walking uh, close to God. Now, leaders are to be appreciated. They're very respected. They're to be loved. This is the First Thessalonians chapter five. It's not that we dis- dismiss them or diss them or. Try to put them down, but we just don't elevate them to venerate them to God status. We don't put them up on a pedestal. Somehow they're supernatural people. They're not. So we shun this superiority. Then we we see we recognize our own frailty. Notice the the, the, the one of the reasons that he gives us for not seeking glory. If you look at the text, it says in verse eight, "But do not call." Uh, be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Then he says, and do not be called anyone uh, your father, for notice the word for there. That's the reason you're not supposed to do that. For there is one who is your father, who in heaven is in heaven. Then the next verse is, don't call anyone your leader, for there is one who is your leader, that is Christ. Four, four, four. One, one, one. Teacher, father, leader god there is one god and we're not him there is one father whereby we receive our spiritual inheritance and in life and we are not him there is one leader the lord jesus christ one teacher uh, jesus said uh, you say you call me teacher and you do the right thing in john 13 13 so he is it we're not him but you see how yeah, but we're, we're called to teach We're called to teach, yeah, what are we called to teach? We're called to teach all that Jesus commanded us. We're supposed to teach people to observe all things Jesus commanded us. We're supposed to teach Jesus, okay? So we have been called to be the the herald and to heed only Christ, okay? When he says one father, one a teacher, one father and one Lord, is this, we need to have a proper understanding of who we are in light of who God is. That's my definition of humility. A proper understanding of who I am in light of who God is. I am not God the Father. I am not God the teacher. I am not God the leader. I'm an under-shepherd. I am a servant. I'm a child of the King. And I serve His Pleasure, and they seek to bring people to Him. I like what C.S. Lewis said: and "It's pride that elevates ourselves." And C.S. Lewis said this uh, in overcoming pride: He says the first step is to realize you're proud. I have a couple questions. to help us a little self-diagnosis here. Do we view others' faults under a microscope and our own through a telescope? Do we rejoice when we are recognized over other people? And or are we wounded when other people are recognized, elevated, promoted, advanced above us? Just a couple of questions that we can ask ourselves. Convicting to me because I find myself guilty on all counts. And so we evaluate ourselves. Well, I like to follow, you know, I listen to so-and-so on the radio, you know, and he's the guy, you know, you need to listen to him. We take pride in the people we follow. You see, this is not a competition. The church is not supposed to be a personality contest. There's another reason, not just because there is one God, one Father, one Jesus who's a teacher and we're not him. We are given the other reason, it's because... He says in verse 8, at the end of, of uh, verse 8, he says, you are all brothers. I think about that one for a while. And sisters, okay? We're all brothers and sisters. What does he mean by that? I think what he's doing, is stressing the equality that we have in the body of Christ. It removes any basis of superiority from any one or the others of us. Just because you're gifted in a certain area, just because you have a ministry that's in this Place, or you have this platform for ministry, or because God has used you and produced a lot of effectiveness through your ministry, doesn't make you or me any more spiritual than the next person. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not to be elevated above the other people. In 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, verses 3 and 4, Peter says this, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but proving to be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know about you, but I need to pray what John prayed. He must increase, and I must decrease. And Paul said it, well in Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 says according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame in anything but that Christ may now even as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death that Christ may now be exalted in my body it's not about me it's not about you it's about him that he would be exalted in our body again titles are not wrong I mean you know I'm listed in the bulletin here as Pastor Steve, okay? I don't have a problem with that because a pastor is a shepherd. That's my responsibility. That's what I do, but I'm an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. Now, if you want to call me Pastor Steve, great. If you don't want to call me Pastor Steve, that's fine. Just please don't use something derogatory. I'd appreciate it, you know. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's not a requirement. Just like Doug doesn't say, you have to call me Dr. Doug. You say you know, you, He's, but I think it's not wrong to respect him as a, as a doctor. He's got education. He's got degrees. You know, other people here have advanced degrees. They have education. They have training. I think we should respect that. But it's not that we're requiring that. Now, if you want to, people say, well, "How do you want us to address you? Do you want us to call you a pastor or or reverend?" I'm going, "No, no, no, reverend, no." Uh, a friend of mine and I used to joke around. We'd write on our envelope, say to the most holy reverend. No, neither one of us were most. Neither one of us were holy. Neither one of us were reverend in the ultimate sense of the word. No, that's wrong. That's that's a veneration that is not warranted. So we 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 first of all that we we would shun. These these suggested superior, then we would show greatness through service. And this is the end. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is like, he leaves the punch to the end. He says in verse 11, he says, But the greatest among you will be your servant. You don't serve to be great, but if you're great, you will serve. We don't serve to be great, but if we're great, we will we will serve. Jesus is our example. In, I'm not going to read it, but Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, this mind of humility, because he's the ultimate example. And not only is he the ultimate example, but he's the only path, the only person, the only way in which you and I can become the people who are humbly serving in greatness. Because only through faith in Jesus Christ as we turn from our sin and we trust in him, does his righteousness envelop us so that we can practice the righteousness of Christ, which manifests itself in humble service to other people. In humble service to other people. I like what John MacArthur says, In the unregenerate heart, vice cannot be restrained and virtue cannot be produced. In the unregenerate heart, there's no restraining of vice, and there's no production of virtue. But if we humbly surrender to Christ, then His work in us enables us to serve in humility. And that's what He asks us to do. So so that, that men who are husbands and fathers, guess what? If they're great, they will serve their spouses and serve their children. And children will be great when they manifest their greatness through serving their parents and their siblings. And church leaders manifest their greatness when they serve the people in the body of Christ. And all of us manifest greatness when we serve each other in love. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he says, that humble service is not only the proof of our greatness, but it's the path to greatness. I kind of contradicting what I said earlier, right? But he, he gets both sides of the same coin. It's the path to greatness. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's what Jesus said. He didn't just say it here. He said in a lot of places. Self-humiliation leads to exaltation, which sometimes is experienced in this life. Mother Teresa is an example. Everybody knows who Mother Teresa is, and she's exalted because of her humble service, right? Although, I was thinking about that, the title mother, kind of like, really, because Teresa was not a mother, right, Uh, at all. Um, It's kind of like saying, Father so-and-so, when you're referring to the the priest. Is he really a father? Uh, Whose father is he? And why is he called that? Just saying. You might want to ask about that. Uh, But here it is. He also gives us a glimpse of glory because one day we're going to stand before the judgment throne of Christ and all those who have exalted themselves will be demoted in condemnation and all those who humbled themselves and surrendered their lives to Christ and lived in obedience to Christ will be exalted in glory. That's the picture that Jesus paints. I like what O'Donnell says in summarizing, "Those now down will go up and those now up will go down." OK? First Peter chapter five, verses five and six. Younger men likewise be subject to your elders and, uh, and all of you. Clothe yourselves with y- all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility. Towards one another, because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you at the proper time. You know, if you're listening to this this morning and you you're really not into this Jesus stuff, you maybe you never surrendered your life to Christ, and you kind of go, "Yeah, the reason I don't is because Christians are hypocrites." Well, guess what? God feels the same about hypocrites as you do. He's not real happy with it, but. Don't miss the fact that God feels and deals with hypocrites the same way that He deals with you who are in rebellion against Him. So, touche. You're no different than a hypocrite to Jesus. And so that's my invitation to you is to turn your life, surrender your life to Christ and submit to what He did on the cross as the payment of your sin so that you can be forgiven give a new life, and then you will be able to live not as a perfect person, but as a redeemed person, a pardoned person, and you'll be able to live the life that Jesus called us to to live here. And as believers, I think we just need to examine our hearts. Am I preaching what I'm not practicing? Am I drawing attention to myself? Or am I seeking to serve other people? Am I praying for humility? Am I pursuing humility? Am I asking other people where it is that I'm failing? And soliciting their help and their input. Louisiana, LSU, uh, got rid of their football coach, right? Uh, He's he's out. Because they're looking for a change of leadership come to this text of scripture and Jesus says I'm looking for a change in the the people who are my children I'm looking for a change in their lives and their leadership among God's people I want people who are avoiding selfish hypocrisy I desire and long for people who are pursuing selfless humility what a better way no better way I guess to, to, to remind us of what this humility requires of us than to Spend a moment taking the bread and the juice that remind us of the humility of our Master and Savior, Jesus, who made it possible through His humble sacrifice that we would be in His family and able to live out the call that He's just given to us here. For the next few moments, I just ask you to search your heart and ask God to uh, examine you and to see if there's any wicked way in you and then you would repent and turn from it and seek God's help and pray, God, may we become, by by your grace, these people that you've called us to be. And then, uh, as you feel led, the praise team plays to take the, the wafer and the juice and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross to sobered by his love, but steeled for his service because of what he's done. Let's pray. Father, may you work powerfully in us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name.